powers. It's like wiggling my ears. Trying to wiggle my ears. Can it's you not really the same thing. It's like moving my head. I feel, sometimes I feel like, yeah, you, you're, <laughs> you are moving your ears. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Slap the wall when you guys are ready. Okay, we're ready. Welcome back, everybody, to Good Money. This is the place where you learn how to make friends with the mammon of iniquity, which was a reading last week. Was it? That's yeah. right. Yeah, it was awesome. Yep, we got a, we got a punch in the face from Amos, got an uppercut yep. from the Psalms, and then yep. Jesus Christ just headbutted us. And then, of course, in the homily, no one talked about it. <laughs> it was kind of funny, wasn't it? That's actually... Yeah. So today is an exciting day because we're talking about a virtue or a vice rather that uh, isn't really directly in Aquinas. So we're going out on a limb here. (laughs) We're out in the communio theology territory where we just make things up. Yeah. (laughs) That's what, that's how I understand the uh, theological school that we're involved in. Is that how how it's done? (laughs) All right. Well, Prudentius at least talks about this. Oh, a lot of them talk about it. Um, This is the sin, the vice of luxury. And St. Thomas does talk about it as well. Yeah, yeah. But that is under his conversation of lust. Yeah, and it just doesn't really get formalized in any one place. Yeah, Um, Which is, I think, actually how most virtues and vices are. You know, like we talk about it sometimes as if there's a list of virtues and when you have them, everything flows from it in this simple chart. Um, but the chart, like all good Thomists know, is an <laughs> abstraction on the reality and it doesn't exhaust the reality. So when we're talking about the virtues and vices, we're talking about the dynamic way in which people become like God. Mm-hmm. It's incredible yep. and, and, and completely diverse and different in each particular instance. Um, no two virtues are the same in the same way in different people. Your, your courage is not my courage, for instance. So, okay. Given all this, it makes sense that there's vices and virtues concerning the use of money and spending and consumption that don't necessarily have a definite spot in the summa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And St. Thomas would, would, you know, would say that. I think he, at some point kind of does mention, um, just the generalities of how virtues and vices work. And, um, but I don't think he ever actually says that this is an exhaustive list. You know, well, you know, that. when he, when he, when he had a vision of, of heaven at the end of things, he did say that his, <laughs> his summa, the summa contragentes and the, uh, commentaries were all like straw, so much straw before the reality itself. He said all his works were like straw. Yeah. Those are some big works. So <laughs> man, <laughs> Well, so luxury, you know, maybe there's something to like be said about, you know, first and foremost about luxury and lust as yeah. connecting together. Because this, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've kind of been discussing with the virtues, like beneficence, magnificence, mm-hmm. liberality. They really do pertain yeah. first and foremost to money. But yeah. this one doesn't right, most yeah. directly. Well, Aquinas translates luxuria as lust. Um and he gives reasons for doing so because he's aware or that... understands it as such. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He gives reasons for this because he um, he knows the fathers and he knows that it's often um, used in many different ways. So luxury is used as a sort of softness, a sort of uh, effeminacy or lack of manliness, mm-hmm. um, a certain uh, inability to say no to things. Uh, also, the more common use that we understand now, which is just to live amongst sumptuous dainties, to live amongst expensive yeah. things, to spend too much money on trivialities, yeah. to have um, a house full of uh, soft pillows and shiny knickknacks. Um, all of this denotes luxury. Yeah, like uh, Prudentius kind of has this line about how your legs become weak and soft like your pillows, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the wobbly, you know that feeling when you just get out of a hot tub and you're a little wobbly? That's oh, yeah. the feeling of the luxurious man. Um, the reason that Aquinas then just talks about lust as being um, luxuria proper is that he says, well, all of this is related to pleasures of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And so this, this sin is um, properly the... It's a kind of intemperance. It's an inability to say no to the pleasures of the flesh and to rightly order them. And while the ultimate pleasure of the flesh is ultimately sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so he gives a reason for speaking about it in this sense, not denying that it could have analogical uses, um, but saying that somehow lust 
uh, and the inability to say no to the pleasures of the of of sex, that this is kind of the um, ultimate expression right. of, of luxury. And so he's justified, I think, in using that. Um, right. Now, I think it would not um, be helpful to anyone. Were they attempting to get over a lust of the flesh in this regard, to use the term luxury with, you know, I guess you could go to confession and be like, Father, I was very luxurious at the <laughs> frat party or whatever. <laughs> Poor Father, he's going to be like, uh, You're like, what frat house are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and, but to just speak about its relationship to some of these more monetary, more directly monetary yeah. virtues and vices, I think we, there's two ways in particular and why we're talking about it today. And the first one is that luxury really comes before avarice because it is something that really sets the groundwork for it. So, okay, what do I mean? So it's, you're saying luxury seeks after particular goods to fill, to, to satiate particular desires. Now, those are inordinate and alienated from the common good. John Paul II has a definition we'll read out later. It kind of says something along those yeah. lines. But the idea is that they're trying to fulfill some sort of real overwhelming pleasure with something that does not have the cause to truly satisfy. Yeah. And so you're constantly going back to this, this luxurious good, yeah. this over-the-top, non-standard, not normal, uh, indefinitely not necessary good yeah. to try and fulfill some intense desires. Yeah, you used, the, then, you used the term inordinate. And I think yeah. inordinate is really helpful in understanding, well, what things in my life are luxurious versus not? Inordinate, quite literally, disordered, out of order. Yeah. Um, when we approach things in the material world, our coffee, our wine, mm -hmm. our wallpaper, uh, whatever it may be, <laughs> as fulfilling a desire for pleasure that exceeds what they can really give. Right. Um, and what they're really for and their place in, in the cosmos. I think that... Then it's properly a luxury. But, you know, I think it is helpful to say that by luxury, we actually do mean a disposition of soul. Right. Rather than particular goods. Mm -hmm. So you could say that, and obviously we do colloquially today, call like a, a glass of wine at night or something like that, a luxury good. Yeah. And that's fair enough. But just, you know, bear with us as we kind of use language in a strange antiquarian way to say that luxury is actually this disposition that treats wine as something yeah. other than it should be treated. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's that's how we're using it. And, and and you see this, obviously, like if you go and you have, if you're kind of gluttonous in a certain way where you are, um, you're searching after the a meal being either super grand or just super particular. We'll kind of talk about both sides of luxury that in a moment. But you 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 want this material good to satisfy a craving that is more than what it can do. You're going to get disappointed by it, and you will constantly be disappointed by it until you go to the next thing, and then you'll go to the next thing, you'll go to the next thing, and you're always going to be disappointed that this material good is not really you know serving your cra craving. And so that inevitably leads to either giving up, turning back and going to God or going on to something that could be more abstract or where the search is ever going. And that's where, where luxury leads to avarice, the vice of luxury leading to the vice of avarice. The love of money in particular. The love of money in yeah, particular. Yeah, totally. And so in there, because money is not material, so it doesn't satisfy some bodily need. Yeah. You know, it doesn't save some, some sort of material craving. And you can never really exhaust it. You know, if I'm, right. you know, desiring a loaf of bread inordinately, I consume it and it's gone, then it's finished. It's come to an end. And did it do its trick or not? Oh, I guess it didn't. My craving's not really satisfied. Mm -hmm. But with money, you can't really say I've come to the end of earning it. Yeah. There's always one more buck out there. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. It, it sort of provides the uh, infinite search that a material object obviously doesn't. And we know this, right? This isn't, yeah. this isn't complicated. It's like we know that pleasures, when pursued in the wrong way, way have a diminishing rate of return. Mm -hmm. It's like you sort of have this experience of a food or a drink or a place or a, or a look or a sexual pleasure as being somehow um, totally fulfilling. And so you yeah. seek to recreate that experience again. Um, and that creates a sad decline as it fails and fails and fails to give. So you're right. I think money provides a certain relief. Avarice uh, provides a certain relief to failed 
a failed life of luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is why you actually see this in the life of immorality, that usually people don't begin with a love of money. I, I'm speaking very generally. Obviously, we live in a crazy time where people are like teaching their kids to invest in markets and stuff. <laughs> but who would do that? <laughs> but we um, still, I think, see this way in which people who are inordinately pursuing pleasures at a young age um, don't really end up just pursuing more pleasures at and in old age that rather you tend to see the transformation of all those things into money because the money is the thing that can buy all those pleasures theoretically. Mm -hmm. And we are very perverse people in that what we, what we've come to love even more than the pleasures is the abstract power or capacity to acquire the pleasures if we would. And so you can see how the love of money is really in some ways a love of power and that, supersedes eventually in a human life all love of this food and that wine. Yeah. And I think that's important because luxury, uh, that treating of things inordinately, shouldn't be understood. Like the critique of luxury shouldn't be understood to be uh, in opposition to enjoyment of things. Oh, man. And no even way. the enjoyment of, of really grand or really rich or really expensive things. I mean, if there's anything we've covered in in Good Money, it's like one of the, one of the problems we have with our contemporary world is the inability to like just buy something really expensive and enjoy it for what it is. Um, it's that when that thing is seen as when it becomes a need, um, Mm -hmm. even though it's not actually a need, then we start to see the habit of luxury, right? To look at something as somehow propping up your very life, even though dude, it's just a steak. Yeah. Right or, or whatever you know what I mean like yeah. the inability to say dude it's just seems to be <laughs> indicative of luxury <laughs> yeah. it's a good self test you yeah. know on that and that is what John Paul II alludes to I mean um, he's I'll read it right here he's talking about communio et progressio paragraph 60 so says this book um, he's talking about um, harmful or utterly useless goods being touted to the public he says more than this Unremitting pressure to buy articles of luxury can arouse false wants that hurt both individuals and families by making them ignore what they really need. And that seems to be very much at the heart of luxury. It's not just that there's something that is inordinate in terms of its quantity, like it's too much. It's that the way in which you approach it has this stink of idolatry about it. You're trying to get it to fulfill deeper longings than it actually can. And, And because of this, you think of it as a need uh, he says false want, but you think of it yes. as something that that somehow you must have when all of nature and the truth of your life and the truth of your family would indicate, no, that you don't really need this thing. Right. And it begins to pervert the family, which is a really you know important point and another demonstration that we are talking in the, in the world of virtues and vices where the virtues make us more like God. God is inherently relational, three in one. And so is in, in a certain way, these vices of luxury, of avarice, of whatever else we're talking about, is going to break down that relationality. That well, yeah, because you've met like a luxurious person, right? Who they're not very communal types. No, <laughs> and uh, you know, and it's sort of a way that you can tell luxury because luxury can hide as a sort of um, the gourmand, right, or the person who really loves fine wines, and mm-hmm. he he means that as a as a way of rejoicing in the gifts God has given. Like there's yeah. several people in the scripture that seem to hit been like this the uh what's the one in the who is it is it ecclesiastes is it a one of the books of the bible says you know <laughs> it's pro wine <laughs> uh, most having, of them <laughs> we're having a real catholic day yeah. the jesus one the one with jesus is yes in. yeah yeah he's he's in one of those books i know <laughs> but i think you can tell you can tell where something has been changed from the enjoyment of something even the enjoyment of something expensive or rare to the vice of luxury. And, and one of those markers is that the pleasure is for the individual. Right. The pleasure has yeah. nothing communal about it. Yep. And it even breeds a sort of dainty disdain for the people that don't have the pleasure or get in the way of you getting that pleasure or otherwise. Um, it, it seems like the very drive of enjoying the pleasure is also the drive to enjoy it for yourself. You're right. And which is also why historically or traditionally 
the luxurious person when it's kind of animated or when it's like situated, what do you call that? When it's personified. That's yeah. the word I'm looking yeah. for. When it's personified, it's often personified in the eunuch. Yeah. You know, because again, the the pleasures of the flesh are what we're talking about within luxury, the, the desires, the craving to have some sort of uh, desire fulfilled, materially speaking, the highest being sexual, mm-hmm. right? But for the eunuch, yeah. You know, he's trying to get to climax without actually being procreative. Totally. You know, and it is ultimately a pleasure that is just for the self, isolated and alone. Yeah, there's yeah. something in, um, ooh, Sirach might be the book of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly in the wisdom literature of the Bible where the comparison is made. Dang it, it might be in Isaiah. Because <laughs> there's a lot of eunuch talk there, but but basically the comparison is is made, like futility. There's an image of futility mm-hmm. given it, and it's like a eunuch striving after a maiden. And the reason I think that, you're quite correct, when the church fathers especially um, critique luxury, it's often understood to be personified in the eunuch, which obviously within the Roman Empire they're having a a different experience of that than gay old time there. Yeah. (laughs) And the, the eunuch is, um, it's important to realize that the eunuch had a political significance in that anything he had, anything he amassed, um, had nowhere to go Mm -hmm. because he was cut off from family. Right. So people that willingly made themselves eunuchs did so in order to attain, um, powerful positions within empires, Mm -hmm. uh, especially within the courts of the emperor. Um, and this is true in many different cultures, not just Rome. Um, but the trade was not simply that, oh, you're going to be disfigured, unable to procreate. It was the, the fullness of that meant that anything that you amass, right, cannot be passed on to any sons or daughters. Right, so right. ultimately, upon the death of the eunuch, everything they gained in life went back to the state, to the emperor. So it was a certain illusion of... Um, gain that you got to live out through your life, but it all died with you in a quite literal way. And so from the perspective of the empress is very, I mean, if you're trying to amass pagan power in the way that pagans do and be doing, uh, then eunuchs are very valuable, right? Because they can, through their own self-interest, go out and amass goods, amass treasures, amass, um, a wage even, um, that was often sent back to family, so it doesn't necessarily apply. But knowing that it would ultimately be for the rich, right. uh, for the power and glory of the kingdom itself. Right. Um, Simicus makes the same argument yeah. for the Vestal Virgins, for instance. Totally. You know, it's like, you can't give up on them, Emperor, he writes to right. him, saying, like, you know, they are your source of wealth coming in. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the, uh, the yeah. association of that with luxury is this very vivid, I think, uh, association of the one who has the goods solely for himself and, and that they bear no fruit, right? So like the wine and the pleasure of wine mm-hmm. for the luxurious man is purely for his pleasure. Mm-hmm. And he's, his luxuriousness is characterized by uh, not wanting to share it. Right. It's just yep. for him. It goes with him yeah. and that's it. It has no fecundity. Um, which I think is important because there's even sins that are like better than luxury, even though they're still bad, like prodigality or something. Yes. You yeah. know, like you might be the guy who's drinking a little too much and you buy the bottle for everyone. And really it's harmful to your family to have bought that bottle. There's a lot that you could say that's bad about it, but you bought it for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're still fulfilling, you know, that, that, uh, you know, sort of basic human um, diffusiveness of the good to others. Yeah. But yeah. in luxury, no, it becomes, I use sterile, I use fecundity, contracepted. <laughs> well, I was thinking about that actually, yeah. you know, because you find a lot of these, I, I, I'm going to s- s- maybe speak out of turn here and you can reel me in, but um, it does seem like a contraceptive mentality where you're trying to control your life, you're trying to kind of prune the garden in the way that you want it to have just so and just mm. perfectly. Um, and you even kind of find this in a lot of the marketing for natural family planning too, um, which, 
you know, you have to have some sort of good reason, the church says, to, to use it. So it's not just a default position of Catholics or Catholic contraception. But you see all this marketing material with like people are happy. They have a glass of wine in hand. They're somewhere in Napa Valley. They have two, maybe three kids running around. Have you seen these things? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's just yeah. it, it is trying to capture a, off of this uh, desire to control and have just so. And, and, you know, and that's, you know, a part of this that is... Um, I think really important is that just because somebody is struggling with a vice of luxury, um, uh, that doesn't mean that they are being obviously extravagant. Right. So C.S. Lewis talking about this intemperate woman in the screw tape letters, um, says, you know, she's well in our control. You know, the devils are speaking to one another, you know. And in the demonstration of that is that she goes off to a waitress, to a restaurant. She orders, you know, a cup of tea and just some biscuits, but it's not that much. And they come and bring it to her and she's, oh, no, no, a quarter of that, you know. Mm. And she and and she starts to cause enemies. And she's, is she, he's, the way that he says it is that um, it's difficult for her to keep any friends simply because they can't do things properly. Mm. And so there's a, a side of this that I, I would like to read. Um, he says he can't do something properly because her properly in scare quotes conceals an insatiable demand for the exact and almost impossible palatal pleasures, which she imagines she remembers from the past a past described by her as the days when you could get good servants, but known to us as the days when her senses were more easily pleased and she had pleasures of other kinds, which made her less dependent on those of the table. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, that's great. And it, he also kind of captures the way that luxury and dull just kind of shrinks your pleasures down, down, you know, like mm -hmm. you it seems like you're out there living the, the sort of lavish life open to all the experiences of the flesh. Mm -hmm. Um, but as it goes on, it takes more and more particularity to give you that pleasure, which often, often is just a, almost a pleasure of reminiscence. And when you did have the pleasure, mm -hmm. um, and so it, it becomes something sort of crippled and, and, and old. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, um, I think that, Luxury items um, can often be discerned in our own lives just by the simple process of asking if we if we need things. Mm -hmm. So the luxury item is the thing that we need but should not need. Yeah. So right. like for me, I think of coffee. Right? Yeah. So like last Lent, the first time in. This is gonna sound like bragging, but this is actually pathetic. <laughs> so it's not bragging. This is this is vulnerability here. The this Go easy like on them, guys. seven or eight yeah. years of knowing, really knowing, I should give up coffee for Lent, and being like, can't do it, yeah. can't do it. Now, how how is this a, a vice of luxury? Well, there's a split mind, like all sin, it splits it splits you, and there's a part of me that knows that I don't need it, mm -hmm. right? In at war with the part of me that thinks that I need it. Yeah. And that need is on the one hand real. It's like, I really do feel like I gotta have coffee. And on the other hand, a, a more sane reasoned view says, well, but you don't, right? You've created a habit that can be uncreated. You're f still free here. Right. You're not a slave to coffee. So I finally gave it up this last Lent. And it was really hard. The first three days. You couldn't where, go to the bathroom anymore. Right. You know, I had, yeah, my digestive, way. <laughs> yeah, my digestive system was entirely reliant on it. Uh, <laughs> I immediately got a migraine like day one. Um, and all of those things that I thought, well, this will happen if I don't drink coffee turned out to be true. And yet I survived. And even after like three days, it was, it was relatively easy um, because I didn't need it. Now, the important thing is that coffee is not luxurious sort of as an object. Now at one point it might've been, if you just mean luxurious to be like rare and difficult to find and expensive to get, Yeah, but it's not 17th century England. Yeah, you sure. know, you're going crazy when the beans arrive. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it's not. So it's the subjective disposition by which something that is not needed is 
not just treat it as if it were needed, but really you've created a habit where you're, you do need it because you've made it a crutch. Like you become crippled by it in such a way that it, it's necessary to you and you need to be healed of that crippling. You need to be strengthened wherever you're right. soft and weak, right. um, which is like luxury has that deter- that, that idea of softness throughout the um, church fathers, especially. Yep. And it's not because it's just like soft things or like a sort of, um, it's not just daintiness as such, but it's the deliberately becoming dainty that really evokes the patristic ire because it's, you did not need to need in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you do. Mm-hmm. So you need to become strong again, not to give up the good. I mean, this is the thing. No, it's not just like, so you can't enjoy this thing. It's like precisely in order to, re- to enjoy it, you need to give it up. I mean, I feel, I mean, feel this every, at the end of every Lent, you know, where I'm just kind of pounding whatever it is that I <laughs> know that I need to give up. And I think you're pounding beer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Based the, on the verb pounding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and based I'm, on the fact that <laughs> what am I putting my, where my money is there, well, my, uh, too, yes. there my heart is also. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I like beer guys. Yep. Um, and, and you know, at the end of it, it's always, uh, kind of this excitement, like I'm going to go and just drink a lot of beer. It's a better and beer. Then, and then, you know, this is one, you know, by the grace and design of God and the way that he created Lent to be, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have the desire to do that as much. He's like rightly formed it, yeah. you know, during that season. And well, But it is crazy. I, I mean, just yeah. talking about like struggles of giving things up. I mean, I kind of get in, you know, given these seasons of having to give up coffee as, as well and thinking, you know, it's, it's probably irresponsible for me to give up coffee mm, sure. because then I'm, I'm, my brain's not going to work as well. I'm not yeah, going to be as yeah, productive yeah. at work. You know, you guys depend on, on my working as I depend on yours the brain has and to therefore, keep yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, um, you know, with like a, a glass of scotch at night or something like yeah. that, you yeah. know, it's, it's thinking, well, I don't have to have this. And then I tell myself I don't have to have this. Yeah. And then, um, and then realizing or then saying, you know, I don't have to have this, but I want it. And then just saying that like mm-hmm. two, three times a week or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you yeah, know, totally. <laughs> it's like maybe, yeah, I really need to get that under control. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and realizing that there can be some actualization for those, you know, lies that I'm telling myself. Of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can, it can be a crutch and no one wants to admit to using a crutch. Yeah. But the thing about crutches is that they're not that enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So like to the degree that something becomes a crutch, uh, for your normal existence. Um, I think that's part of the mystery of how, it, how the good becomes less enjoyable. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, beer is great, but like medicine is not so great. So if I'm treating beer like it's medicine, insofar as I'm treating it as it's medicine, beer is not so great. So now I'm ruining beer yeah. <laughs> by my luxury. And it's the same with, it's the same with coffee, but it's also the same with the more traditionally understood, like, um, you know, uh, fine, furnishings for your house or something mm-hmm. or like a, a really nice car like when it becomes such that you can't live without it then it starts to have the same kind of boredom as the other things you can't live without it's like i need it in the way i need like nutrients and shelter it's right. like well cool yeah. you know your ferrari is on the same level as nutrients and shelter it's like go drive and scrabble after that necessity of life and the the point of the critique against luxury is that when you do that when you add more to a human life that 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 necessitates us, than needs to necessitate us, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then you shrink your time and your power and your ability to do great things yeah. and things for other people. Because the man who needs food, shelter, and clothing to go about his day, uh, he's got a lot of time, a lot of power, a lot of energy, a lot of money, mm-hmm. potentially, uh, to do great things, to start businesses, to help the poor, that sort of thing. The man who needs those things, but also needs three you know, hours of television. Yeah, he needs yeah. a television, needs two cups of coffee, and don't talk to him until he's had his two cups of coffee, yeah. all that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, well, he's just got literally less time, yep. you know? Yep. And so it's um, in, there's a poem by uh, Prudentius, Prudentius that we both read. Psychomachia. Uh, Psychomachia. Yeah. Craziest name. Psychomachia. Yeah, yeah the war Psycho- of the soul. War, well, yeah. Uh, it's a really, um, it's a fun read uh if you're into allegories um where there's this big battle between the virtues and vices they're all personified and then they all have fights um and the fights are very gory like like at some point like people are like breaking each other's backs over their knees and 
blood everywhere, but it's all personified virtues and vices. And so the, the vice luxury comes out into this battlefield and she has this chariot of, and they're all girls too. So it's, it's pretty rad. <laughs> she has this chariot of like jewels and she has this perfume that sort of has men sort of go limp and fall over uh, <laughs> near her. And so all the soldiers of Christ are all um, kind of down and out. And so the person that comes to just wreck luxury is, is sobriety. So she comes in and, um, and I forget exactly the act of violence. It's definitely pretty brutal. Yeah, actually, it's embarrassing to say I can't remember. There might have been is, some yeah. like face smashing or something. <laughs> actually, you know what I think it is? Now, I might be getting this confused with avarice, but I'm almost certain that sobriety punches her in the face until luxury starts bleeding out of her mouth and then she chokes on her own blood and dies and that has some significance everybody's going to read this now yeah yeah i remember it being like whoa awesome um why am i saying this oh well because i don't know because um no i don't know <laughs> well that was just a great image to it put makes in our minds weak. it makes you weak now the the real the real problem then of luxury is on the one hand personal mm-hmm like we have to look at our lives and say, okay, what are those things that I don't really need, but I have an individual desire for pleasure apart from any service to the common good. And I'm creating a sort of dependency by which they become crutches in my life, thus destroying the pleasure of the thing itself. And then also making me less able um, to be happy and good in this world. Okay. So that's the personal thing. But then there's the social element, right? Because if, if luxury is what we say it is, then um, that is to say a false need, then it's not just that we ourselves can get into this position of, of needing things we don't really need. It's that it becomes an active way to make money in this world, which is basically the manufacture of false needs, mm-hmm. which is itself the promotion of the sin of luxury which is also, as far as I can tell, 90% of marketing and advertising. <laughs> and I said 90% because Alex Wren does a lot of marketing for New Polity, and I want him to know that I didn't say 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and a lot of yeah, m- marketing now is used to kind of undo marketing. You know, it's like oh, sure. trying to get away from the need, the false needs that people have created. Now, yeah. of course, you're still trying to be sold something. You know, yeah. I think about the development of the light phone or the wise phone, for instance, you're trying to get away from the, the, the artificial need of all the gizmos and gadgets of a smartphone. Of course, they're selling you something in the meantime. But, but there's also kind of the fundamental point here is that as soon as the vice of luxury leads you to rendering an unnecessary good is necessary um then there's that's going to be stable you know for you in your life but if everybody's convinced of that as well then it's going to be stable for society at large yeah and it's going to be a system it's going to be an institution yep love makes institutions as as someone once said i believe it yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and, and that's, you know, part of the way that then we can't really convert out of the vice of luxury totally on our own. Yeah, it becomes systemic and we become mm-hmm. slaves to it. So like when mm-hmm. cars were first introduced, they were quite literally described as a luxury item mm-hmm. in the sense that they were they were personally empowering to individuals that gave them this incredible ability. Yeah. Um, but then through envy the and, and marketing, uh, but why repeat myself, through marketing, uh, <laughs> the... Um, the car became not that it ceased to be a luxury item, but that it became something that everyone wanted, right? Because everyone wants the luxury item because luxury items signify that you're living the good life, um, which is unfortunate because people believe you. And then, of course, everyone needs a car. So it wasn't just that the car became a crutch in that individual's life. It's that systemically and socially, the car became a crutch for everyone. Like, you can't really get by without a car. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. It's just your life is very difficult. And that's important to see. I mean, there's a, in the same sense that a luxury item starts out as this pleasure and then gradually becomes less pleasurable and more necessary to your existence until the, 
you know, the, the sort of imbibing dilettante at Oxford, like wine club becomes the wino on the street given enough time. I think that was kind of what happened in Brideshead, but I could be <laughs> paraphrasing wrong. Okay. That same thing happens socially, right? The, the things that are items that we obviously don't need for the simple fact that we lived without them, uh, then become things we can't do without. You know, it's funny to actually just mention this, that, um, I'm thinking about the rise of coffee and tea in particular. Yeah. Cars is, are, I think, the ideal example. But even just take coffee and tea, which really didn't make it into Europe until kind of Renaissance yeah. time. But what did they serve during the Middle Ages to to workers in the field? They would give them a big double bock in the morning and then another one in the afternoon. That's so and it was because it would give them the energy they needed to get through it and kind of dampen the pain a bit as well. You know, so there's obviously, again, a not, not a need, but that it is more focused on a functionality that's also enjoyed um, rather than something that's superfluous beyond the time of, uh, of real work. And this is one, again, kind of one of these things where, again, tea became so common during, you know, the period that it did was because there was a push to get people to work longer and harder hours, oh. defeating sleep. Gotcha. And the ways that it was. So yeah. again, there's, you know, psychomachia. There's you know multiple vices fighting one another in this way. Yeah, uh, you can see how there's a certain structural um, connection between uh, luxury as a disposition, mm -hmm. and then the dependence on others for the provision of certain goods. Mm. And what I mean is, given any human community living in society mm -hmm. if they're alive and having children and raising them you can presume that at some level they have the goods they need right like they might be living in poverty there might be improvements that could be made but if they're there it means that they've got them right so that means that if you're going to introduce a new need something perceived now as a need by definition it has to come extrinsic from something extrinsic to the life of that community. Right. Right. By definition, it's that you're going out and bringing it back in, whether mm -hmm. that's through invention or through actual travel, as was the case with coffee and tea. Yeah. So that it doesn't just solidify a certain dependence on luxury goods. The vice of luxury also ends up in creating dependence um, on other people, strangers especially. Yeah. Because by definition, the stranger is the one who's more able to provide a good that isn't already that doesn't already belong to the community, right? That's just right. what it means. Um, and so you see this, I think. Um, it pushes you a community away from self-sufficiency is really what. Oh, totally. Where you're going. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, if, if you need, yeah, if you need others to live or you think you need others to live, then you, you become that much weaker as a community. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that communal luxury that um, we're all extremely involved in. And that we also, like, again, I have to emphasize, you, you know, Karl Marx says that the way capitalism works is that ultimately um, it always needs to be growing and expanding, right? It has to open up new markets. It has to quite literally go. He, for him, he was speaking geographically. Like, because capitalism relied on the destruction of the old uh, peasant economies that preceded it, once that's done in England, there's a certain danger of stasis. And so you have to go and do the same to other peasant economies elsewhere, which is exactly what the uh, British Empire did, right? Um, and the same, and, and, and that um, opening up of new markets, by definition, again, is making communities that don't necessarily need to buy something, believe they need to buy it. Um, one term that people like to use is it's the manufacture of scarcity, which is sounds complicated, but it's just me coming into your house and being like, you don't have a food processor. You need a food processor and saying it. until you believe me buy the food processor and then don't know how to operate your kitchen apart from the food processor, food processor. Right. So that's, it's crazy that, that we do this. I mean, that one of the ways to make money is to go and tell people they need things they don't need. Right. And somebody might push back here and say, well, uh, you know, you are saving a lot of time and I appreciate that. I have a lot of arguments against that. Though. All right. No, go. Well, I mean, yeah. one of it is just like the, 
presumption that time being saved is itself a good Mm -hmm. um, is already a presumption that time has like a value in being used elsewhere. How do I say this? Basically, if you go to someone who has a life that's very complete in what they do and say, don't worry, I can save you time, right? Then what you're also doing at the same time is creating in them or trying to create in them a need for free time. Like the first question you have to ask is, do they lack the time to do what they want to do and to pursue their goods and to pursue their vacations and live fulfilled lives? Now, if it's the case that they say, yes, we lack this time and we desire um, we, we desire time in order to do something specific. Well, that's mm-hmm. one thing. Then you might say, okay, I have a device here that could um, minimize some of your effort here. But if they are happy in and living out their vocations, and as many people, at least in, in Western Europe were, then to come and say, here, I'm going to save you all this free time. Well, what it actually meant in Europe was to work longer hours because now you're making wages instead of doing agricultural work. So I, so I just mean to say, it's not that it's impossible for that to, to work. It's just that in most cases, I doubt the... Uh, yeah, the or you maybe just to toss out another objection. Um, you know, we often hear things like, um, you know, we live better than Rockefeller did. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't even have air conditioning. Sure. You know, how would you begin to respond to, to that? I think that... If what you mean is that we need a lot more things to survive and can get them, then you're correct. But the whole presumption that a life of many more labor-saving devices and, and much more access to these um, to goods of, of cheap clothing, of transportation, or however you're measuring it, um, I don't doubt that. All of that is true. Yeah. But the question is simply, what are you measuring? Like, are you measuring the happiness of the person Mm -hmm. who is using all of these devices? Or are you simply measuring the fact that he has them and assuming that it's making him happy? Because what you actually seem to see um, is a increasing daintiness among people in the West as they can no longer get by without the provision of luxury items. Like they become soft, uh, I don't think anyone would deny this. They quite literally become soft, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm thinking of obesity here, right? <laughs> so the argument that, oh, we live much better thanks to capitalism, look at all this access we have, it just skips over the question of whether what we're talking about is established luxur- luxurious habits of dependency yeah. or if we're talking about the actual access to items that were needed by Rockefeller as well and he simply didn't have. Right. Because I would say... Well, maybe we live better than Rockefeller, but maybe Rockefeller was actually more capable of living in this world with fewer crutches than us. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, you're just kind of saying what Paul VI said and then John I try Paul to only say what Paul VI says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then John Paul II repeats, he says, you know, it's not wrong to want to live better, but what is wrong is a style of life, which is presumed to be better when it is directed towards having rather than being. Mm, yeah. And which wants to have more, not in order to be more, but in order to spend life and enjoyment as an end in yeah, itself. Yeah, 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 totally. And that that being, it's like the point of everything we do is to become saints. Yes. So the question yeah. is, sure, we're living well by a standard that is very suspicious to me because it always seems to mean like the best possible life is the one in fact where you buy all these things i have for sale (laughs) it's like uh why do i believe you (laughs) exactly (laughs) um but yeah if we're supposed to become saints if the whole point of everything we do is to carve ourselves take all this freedom that we're given and then devote it to becoming a particular instance of god's glory um it doesn't seem like the amount of goods we consume are necessarily um aiding to this project totally i mean it's kind of interesting to be able to sit down right now in our state where we are in a system and that um has i mean really does coerce us to have luxury items that are not really necessary for life but we couldn't operate in society without them Mm -hmm. Uh, and actually to discern you know what is proper 
to enjoyment here. Yeah. Um, and I really, you know, obviously this is kind of a banal point and probably everybody's thought about this by now, but it is kind of interesting if everybody is being convinced that they need these luxury items, then they, they will necessarily need to be worse off than they originally were. They're going to have to be cheaper. They're going to be more gross. They're going to be more consumable. And we're not going to actually, it's not just that we won't be able to enjoy them well anymore because we've so habituated ourselves as lewis said something about what was it like dampened our senses yeah it is when our senses were more easily pleased yeah dampened them by familiarity and not having the right seasons of fasting and feasting and we've traded that out for binging and barfing instead <laughs> but it's really that actually the items themselves cannot give this this sense of pleasure that they once did because they're cheap they're gross they're not as skillfully made designed and gifted yeah so because they they can't at some point they can't be because they have to be mass produced yeah yeah and it's important to you said there's an interplay of vices and it's true it's like luxury uh, interplays with envy mm -hmm. to an obvious extent. It's like to have a luxurious item precisely because it's desired inordinately. Part of that, what makes that desire inordinate is because it's desired to have for yourself and that means over and against others. But that is precisely what uh, incites others to envy, which mm -hmm. is this person has something that I don't and I have no share in it and no participation in it. So you can see how the luxurious man provokes or at least tempts to envy and so and how that would create a situation in which the good would be mass produced because yeah. everyone wants it mm -hmm. and how that would of course like you say it would it would reduce the uh quality of the thing mm -hmm. you know i was very called out with um this whole discussion of manufactured desires because of course whenever you make it you think well i don't have any manufactured desires right or if i do it's because i'm so wrapped up in the you know um structural sin of luxury with with cars and such that i just have to use them in order to fulfill my vocation right, okay right, all that right, being right, said right, right. i'm yeah. reading a book by this gal carol robinson she's writing oh, like yeah. 1930s she's yeah. awesome one of my favorite writers um she's a thomist she's sort of like very anxious and just <laughs> critiques the world um, hates tvs doesn't like tvs but she was writing about advertising, and at some point she mentions that the she's like critiquing this, and she's like, for instance, look at how we all think we're supposed to have wine with dinner now. But that was an advertising campaign that they put in magazines to like pair wine with this food. That was quite literally not present, and by her estimation, just wasn't a thing in America, at least. I can't speak for everywhere. Um, it's that, just because we were Protestant. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> and so she's looking at this, and she's saying, like, okay, this this item, this luxury item, is now something that, like, the you know, because it's being directed to the housewife, like, you really should have wine at at the table. That this is actually a manufactured desire that I have totally made natural. It's like, yeah, I have to have wine with dinner. What's dinner without wine you know and it's like oh yeah okay i can see how that was actually maybe not just like the the very nature of the fruit of the vine just sort of speaking to me yeah. it was an ad campaign you know you hate to see it i know it's terrifying actually i mean this is definitely the one where um you know there's there's a lot of these or like things wed that were wedding rings did you know this engagement rings not wedding rings oh yeah total hustle by the diamond industry back in the day yeah i did know that actually They're just like yeah. you know what Diamonds, like love, are forever. Yeah. Therefore, <laughs> like, to get engaged, not. you have to spend $3,000. Thank you. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. You know, can I, you know, I didn't know that, but then. I, I did know that, and I still bought Alice just, a diamond ring. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. tough. No, this is definitely one of those. Take it where... back, sell it, <laughs> and give it to the poor. <laughs> you know, this is like one of those where I think it's, you know, along these lines, we're kind of talking as we're learning and speaking as we're reading and and um but this is definitely one of those um i'm speaking primarily for mark here not for myself that, that we struggle with we most yeah, we struggle. yeah. <laughs> royal weed i wish i mean mark yeah <laughs> yeah um well i'll read a couple of these to close us out when all we really need are paper airplanes <laughs> well what do we need i mean again let's just go back this has been something throughout good money uh generally we need what is necessary for the obligation of charity to be fulfilled. Another yeah. way of putting this is how much money should a man have? 
he should have what is um, what enables him to fulfill his vocation. Yep. Okay, and we've talked about it. Granted, there's a difficulty in figuring out your vocation, and it's not as specific as it was in Christendom. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's not that hard. You can figure out what obligations of love and justice you have and how much you need to fulfill them. And yeah. something of the same goes to the question of luxury. Like, what do we need? How much do we need? How often do we need it? Yeah. It's like, well, you, yeah. you only need to consume uh, that which gives you your life and which gives you the ability to s- fulfill your vocation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, right, you're in the stage of su- superfluity. So if you have, if you find in yourself this desire for great pleasures, you need to find ways in which to order those pleasures towards the common good. So if you, and, and this is the op- opposite of the way that luxury thinks about the pleasure, right? Because yeah. one of the associated vices with luxury is obviously snobbishness. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is really important because this kind of gets, I think a lot of people will first he- start to hear this and be like, okay, I need to do a serious examination of conscience, which is right. You know, we do need to do that. Um, but there's always that kind of flirtation with, um, uh, you know, with, with an over self-criticism, um, is scrupulosity, mm-hmm. which really there's not enough scrupulosity today. I mean, <laughs> for the most part, but I think the way that you're thinking, you're like, you're telling people to think about this is really important because it again gets us away from, looking at the wrong that we're doing as, as the only concentrated focus. Obviously we need to do that, but it also, but you follow Christ, not by trying to avoid evil, but by trying to do good. And this is, this is the direction. How do we take these desires that we have and attempt to make them communal? I I just really wanted to emphasize that point. I I think the, the, the way to avoid luxury is that when you find an item that you really like for the pleasure it gives, mm-hmm. um, the thing you need to ask yourself is twofold. One, can I go without it? And if you can't go without it, you need to fast until you can. Mm-hmm. That's simple. And the other is that, is it for me or is it for everyone? Because it is a superfluity, right? Like pleasure is awesome, but kind of by definition, it's like the icing, not the cake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we are enjoying these pleasures, the question is, is it just for us or is it for others? Is mm-hmm. it enabling others? Is it becoming the opportunity for relationships? Is it becoming the opportunity for greater love? And so, I mean, this is like, in some ways, like marriage is a really obvious thing here, right? Augustine calls marriage like the good use of concupiscence at some point, which sounds, I don't know, dour. Everyone's accusing Augustine of being dour all the time. But it's like, well, if you, it is the way of making that highest pleasure of the flesh most explicitly communal, like quite literally creative for mm-hmm. others. And so the question is, okay, given that that's true about the highest pleasure of the flesh, that there's an institution by which it becomes communal and by which it's saved from, you know, becoming a self-indulgent eunuchry. Um, where do we get, um, what about all the other pleasures we have? Well, the same should apply. You should look for like how each pleasure can have a wedding you know like how does my love for food my real love for food turn into the provision of feasts for others Mm -hmm. you know how does my love for drink do the same with starting a brewery for instance Mm. (laughs) uh how does my love for the arts and my sense of like a profound pleasure how does that become not snobbish um where I'm delighting precisely in the fact that I have something that other people can't participate in. And how does it become an opportunity to use that for the creation of public architecture, for instance, or I was going to say museums, but that's sort of, you know, I don't really care about that. Um, okay. So that I think is just the kind of twofold method fasting on the one hand, if it's a crutch, and then if it's a, if you have a particular propensity to a, a pleasure, that's good. Praise God. He gave you something to enjoy in this life. Now, how do you make sure that it's not just for you? That's what I would suggest. I think the post suggests something similar. Give us a read there. Um, well, this is on anti-consumerism. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's, it's all in there. Um, do you want to just give out some citations? Yeah, we can do this, though, because he's talking about a, a lavish lifestyle. Um, and he's saying that 
what this misses is the development of other people. Um, so he says, advertising that fosters a lack... Oh, sorry, who, who am I reading? Um, this is John Paul II. Advertising that fosters a lavish lifestyle which wastes resources and despoils the environment. And again, I think we could by now hear this and, and be guilty rather than saying, oh, that's for people that buy <laughs> things I can't afford. It's like, well, if you don't need it, he could be talking about you. Um despoils the environment and offends against important ecological concerns. In his desire to have and to enjoy rather than to be and grow, man consumes the resources of the earth and his own life in an excessive and disordered way. Man thinks he can make arbitrary use of the earth, subjecting it without restraint to his will, as though it did not have its own requisites and a prior God-given purpose, right, that ordered use of a thing, which man can indeed develop but must not betray, right? So don't betray wine. As this suggests, something more fundamental is at issue here. Authentic and integral human development. Advertising that reduces human progress to acquiring material goods and cultivating a lavish lifestyle expresses a false destructive vision of the human person, harmful to individuals and society alike. When people fail to practice a rigorous respect for the moral, cultural, and spiritual requirements based on the dignity of the person and on the proper identity of each community, beginning with the family and religious societies, then even material abundance and the conveniences that technology makes available will prove unsatisfying and in the end, contemptible. Which is exactly what we've been saying. Um, Advertisers, like people engaged in other forms of social communication, have a serious duty to express and foster blah, blah, blah. Um, He's he's just giving some advice for the ad men. But the point is, in our luxury, we're all ad men, right? Because ad, ad men, I'm saying, not <laughs> ad men. Um, because we're all teaching others what to want. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Don't be luxurious, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so Don't be soft. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, I think this is um, another kind of call to some sort of self-sufficiency. I mean, there's a yeah. reason why the tradition really does focus in on cities being self-sufficient. Yeah. Um, and it's not so much like a policy proposal, but it's saying, you know, if people are starting to tend in the way that they should, they just end up will being a bit more self-sufficient than yeah. they are currently. And we probably won't get there in our gender lifetime. It'd be awesome if we did Let's shoot for it. But, um, you know, but there's a lot of growth and a lot of, things that do need to change and a lot of structures that we're going to have to wriggle free from. But I think in the ways that you were just saying are yeah. a really good way in which we can start personally in our own homes and with our own families. Yeah. And just be aware when a basic yeah. human good is being provided to you through the mediation of a luxury item you have to pay for. Yeah. Lash out against it, bro. Yeah. Like when you're like, Oh my gosh, the only friends I have are online. Why am I paying this third party for something like friendship? then you should feel like, oh, well, obviously what I've struck upon here is the structural sin of luxury that needs to be cast out of this society like so many demons. Mm-hmm. You know, same with like pornography. Like why is the good of sexual pleasure, why does it now involve me spending money, time, and attention on a commodity that's enriching other people? Um, navigation, navigation or, exactly yeah, or, or yeah. transportation or, you know, you start to think about the way in which, um, again, not the way in which things are social, the way we need each other, but the way in which false needs eventually become real needs in a society of luxury. What this means, of course, is that you can't really kick luxury. You can kick it as a personal habit, and that's how it begins. That's the only way it can begin, right? Society is people. You're people. So start. But at the end of the day, it can only spread to the whole society through... I mean, the, sorry, the only way it can be really achieved is both the personal and the social kind of happening in concert. What I mean is you have to build a Christian community um, in order to not need luxury items to provide you with um, those goods, with the basic goods of human life. I mean, that, that I think is a situation we're facing. Like part of what it means to be a Christian today is to build forms of life and forms of community yeah. in which you can have the basic goods that God gives in his generosity without paying a lot of rent payments. Wait, but that's luxury. quietist, you hobbit. I don't I don't th- think it is because like it, it's it's like uh because that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best response. <laughs> okay. Yeah, great. Well, awesome. Uh what are we talking about next time? No idea. I think that's what we wanted exciting. to do next time was uh maybe this isn't quite next, but we wanted to just go through things people say about money. Yeah. Like money sayings. 
pro- yeah, proverbs and popular yeah. sayings. Money talks. A penny saved is a penny earned. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. And probably just come out against all of them, but maybe there'll be a few that... I think there's a few. There's that, a few that I like. That yeah. Remain. Thomas Edison has something... I, I'm going to botch this, but it's something along the lines of... Um, most people miss opportunities because it takes the form of overalls and hard work. Okay. You know, it's <laughs> a good old, uh, yeah, <laughs> still twenties. He was happy. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> okay. So go, don't be luxurious, be happy. And, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.